Through this part of my house, no one's been in it for years. I built the safe room and I don't let no one in there. Cause if I do, there's a chance that they might disappear and not come back. And I admit, I am emotionally scared to let anyone inside. So I just leave my doors locked. You might get other doors to open up, but this door's not. Cause I don't want you to have the opportunity to hurt me. And I'll be the only person that I can blame when you deserve me. Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for the Little Stranger. My name is Tom Chicken. I'm here with Christian Mokowski. It's pronounced Murasuki. Huh? <laughs> and with our little stranger tagline, our own little stranger, Kelly Wand. Pilot movie where ghosts are British. <laughs> uh, Keep them coming. Why can't that happen to every movie, kid? <laughs> is that to me? Uh, that is me. Kelly, one, do you have a more family-friendly one? Uh, the Little Stranger. We saw it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> that would be a good tagline for this podcast, not so much the movie. That'd be uh, funny on a poster, though. Uh, oh, you know, actually, it is one of those movies that I figure would spark conversations afterwards. So it also that would, means the poster maker saw the movie and wants to talk about it with the audience when they get out of the movie. <laughs> oh, right. As in, at first person, let us, including the poster maker, talk about the movie. Right? Unless it's like the filmmaker know. saying it on the poster. Filmmaker, Kelly One, filmmakers never do their own taglines. We saw our movie that we made. Now you do it. Compare <laughs> notes. <laughs> Well, Kelly, uh, is there a fourth tagline for The Little Stranger, or does it just get the usual three tagline treatment? No, I had two, because I moved one out because it was, wasn't good enough. Oh. You, you're you're, too, you're Well, you're getting picky lately. Yeah! You call that a tagline? So, well, no, these, I, were, these were two and a half very strong ones. I saved the third one for as, as an Easter egg later. Oh, good. I look forward to it. Those don't have to be very good. <laughs> Dingus, tell us a little bit about the movie. Don't spoil anything. Kelly Wan's already spoiled that something terrible happens to a child. Not Ruin necessarily. nothing else, Dingus. I know. And uh, tell us a little bit about it. He has a good All party. Right. Uh, this week we saw The Little Stranger, a 2018 English Gothic drama movie about how acorns make you go nuts. It was directed by Lenny Abrahamson and written by Lucinda Coxon. Based on a novel by Sarah Walters. Waters, fuck. Waters, fuck. <laughs> I don't think I've ever called you that or her that. It's Julie it. Walters. Yeah. <laughs> fuck the noun. Uh, I prefer to call her Walters. There's yeah, a there's a, there's a hidden L there. Uh, it stars Ruth Wilson, Donald Gleason, Will Poulter, Liv Hill. And Charlotte Rampling. The uh, uh, Little Stranger is rated R. Oh, come on, why? I can't think of any reason. What does the MPA have to say for themselves? You're welcome, civilization. For some disturbing, bloody images. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, the kid. And that's it, Dingus? No. Just that one thing? That's it. It's oh, not the okay. kid, it's her... It's well, Kelly one is, on. it's it's Jesus. multiple disturbing bloody images, not just the one. I can think of a couple of them. But but Kelly one, is there anything else that that parents should be warned about that you feel if they're considering taking their children to see the little stranger? Seems unlikely, but if they're on the fence and they're waiting for what I would say, and they're waiting in the in the driveway. Well, Kelly one, it does sound like a child's movie, like the Little Prince, the Little Stranger. Yeah. 
you know, uh, it, it, it gets to see. Yeah, exactly. So, Kelly Wan, what do you have to say to what, what should parents know? Fat Man and Little Boy. <laughs> That's a kid's movie because it's got little in it. Um, I would rate this movie X for some smoking books and British language throughout. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is there is a there underage smoking in this movie, yeah. so I, I fully support it getting an R rating. Uh, the Little Stranger is at sixty seven on Metacritic. That's the average rating from various reviews from one to one hundred. Little Stranger is at sixty seven on Rotten Tomatoes. The percentage of reviews that are positive sixty five percent. Now this movie had a very limited opening. It didn't get it was like four hundred some odd screens. It did not get a Cinema Score rating, but if it had. It would have gotten a D from CinemaScore. I, I can tell you that uh, for certain. Um, it didn't also make much money, unfortunately. Now, one of the uh, this this was a, a very limited opening. It obviously is more of a prestige piece for Focus Features. Um, it, but one of the gauges for how well a movie like this does is the per theater average. Uh, and you generally that that's a gauge for how well the the studio figured how much demand they figured it was because they can send it to as many screens as they want or as few as they want and ideally they're going to get a return on their money that's their per screen average you generally want about five thousand dollars at least uh, if you get over than that you, you do well the big winner or the per screen averages here is a movie that you jokers might want to consider seeing called Eighth Grade. It did like $63,000 per theater on its opening weekend, and that's the record for this year so far. And that's really solid. It bodes very well for uh, how well A24 marketed and distributed that movie. Um, on the lower end, you have movies like uh, – I just looked up a couple randomly. Happy Time Murders, that uh, thing with, uh, with Melissa – uh, McCarthy and a bunch of puppets. Uh, $3,000 per theater opening. 517 to Paris, that horrible thing Clint Eastwood did where he had the actual guys playing themselves in a story about uh, foiling a terrorist attack on a, on a French train. That made 4000 per theater average. Slender Man, an underperforming horror movie, was uh, made uh, 5000 per theater average. Wait, Let's that's now go. What you said was a success. Right, right. Uh, well, yeah, but it, it didn't like uh, like it, it wasn't a, a big hit. Like a lot of times, it was stated uh, horror movies. Yeah, a lot of times, like it was the bottom line. You wanted to make at least that. A lot of times, horror movies uh, they're made very cheaply and they, they have a good return on their money because the theaters sort of market them a lot. Uh, I don't think Slender Man was a very successful one. We just need um, one Slender Man in our budget. That's what. They so, Little Stranger, with its very limited opening, made. $850 per theater, which is Ooh. terrible. So uh, Focus Features really fumbled uh, this one. It opened at number 23 on its opening weekend. <laughs> so, in America or worldwide? Or in the U.S. I doubt it did not have a worldwide release. Like it's, it's, it's I saw domestic. a for it when I was there. So, oh, well, no, I'm sure they, they marketed it, and I'm sure they expected it was going to get more than $850 Black per Klansman. theater. So they were marketing it to Black Klansmen. Or black. Well, it's, a, it's an indie art house. It's an indie art house movie, and they would put their trailers before that, and they okay. would, you know, that was their. They know who their audience would be, and they just didn't reach them, or the audience audience didn't care. Um, I saw the trailer. But, uh, and went, oh, I want to see that because it's that same girl who wrote. The I mean, Fingersmith. Same thing. 
And, and, and nobody would – yeah, you're the only one who would think that. I doubt that was a selling point. I know. For, you know Sarah I'm Watson used to that does, feeling. Right, right. So uh, it didn't do well commercially or critically, um, but let's talk about it anyway. Kelly Wan, before we talk about The Little Stranger, I would like you to give us – a little opsis. Doesn't that count as us talking about it? Like, are we part of Well, we it? listen. You tell us what happened because this is oh, a yes. there's a lot of there's a lot of information in this movie that might be hard to glean. So I need you to unpack that for me and Dingus before we talk about it, just so that Dingus and I know that we're clear on what actually happened in yeah, the movie. Yeah, because you only you're not you didn't understand it if you just saw it without my advice. It's yeah, it's a it's, it's an odd movie. movie. Yeah, I need your help, and both Dingus and I do. So Kelly gone. Well, uh, I I think that between us seeing it and hearing you give us a little opsis of it, it we'll figure it out. Yeah. I don't think you will, but we'll try. (laughs) I don't think this is going to help one bit, but I like that you see these as that's their function to help you understand the. It's like the study book that you go through after yeah, reading the novel in, in, in English class. Yeah, that's definitely Cliff's Notes, yeah. yeah. If it was written Kelly. by Forrest Gump. The Little Strange Opsis. Jackie Gleason stares in a mirror and shaves his red mustache off. <laughs> Wait. Wait, what? <laughs> now are you starting to understand the movie better? <laughs> Feel free to take notes. I didn't, <laughs> but... Viola Davis leans over to me and goes, staring at a mirror, that's original. (laughs) Gleason's phone rings. He's all, hello. (laughs) Some white cursive's all the little strange opsis. Gleason's naming this is Faraday. I look over at Hopkins in his butler suit beside me and go, that's the guy who invented uh, the vibrator. Gleason looks at a house and gets out of his car. A gardener with a club foot walks up and goes, me name's Roderick, or Broderick. Gleason rolls his eyes and goes into a kitchen. Some dogs bark. A brunette lady in homespun's all. Dogs always bark when silver spoons be stolen by little strangers. By the way, me Caroline's name character is. I mean, I look over at Tom replacing Diggis's notebook with a whoopee cushion beside me and go... She reminds me of someone... Dingus stands up, pumps his fist, and goes, Weiss! <laughs> Jesus. Really? <laughs> like, it's that obvious to you, Dingus. That he would... It's right here. He sits on the notebook, foiling Tom. <laughs> See, you win. Well. I was told a teenage... Maid character named Betty here has a chase of case of pancreatic chicanery. <laughs> wow. Uh, at least I wrote it correctly. Let's focus on the positive. Later. <clears throat> that's not the character. Later. Ow! Ow! Fucker! Ah! I haven't touched you yet, miss. Other maid character, leave us, please. I'm not a maid. I'm your reluctant love interest. I said Caroline. Bye. She leaves. (laughs) Rachel Weiss. Doctor, you've got to get me out of here. Maid's always the first to cop it in these. 
Gleason sighs at us. Later. My diagnosis is she's scared because the house is large. <laughs> Apparently she didn't notice from the outside. Let's find Roddy. He'll tell us how much we owe you. Yeah, so ordinarily my customers don't decide their own fees. Hello, I'm Charlotte Rambling. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the baby! Baby. Not sure of the actress's name. I think I'm Weiss's mom. My mother was a maid here during a carnival to celebrate the start of World War One. The only ride I was allowed to go on was standing behind a blonde girl being photographed. Yes, well... This house turns pearls from people of dust into specks. I, I mean, uh... His viozal. The place was called Hundreds for the number of its cobwebs. But I never thought its dreary doors would open to the likes of me. A red-headed doctor. <laughs> These jerk-offs had really let it go to seed. Rampling was obviously too old for me to seduce. Rampling's all... Sorry, take your VO outside, please. <laughs> Trying to call Paul Newman here is not picking up for some reason. Later, Gleason's buddy Gary's all, How about that Weiss family, huh? Ugh. By the way, that flat broke. You'd be an imbecile to go back. The next day, Gleason goes back. For fun. <laughs> he races a hay cart, so he takes a long cut. But a... Dog runs out into the path and goes, Liam, Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> it's brown now, Dingus, because it's the 20s, 1920s. You know how you look different, like Jumanji? Whites walks up, farting. Oh, it's you! Behind them, the hay cart driver's all, ha ha! And clatters past <laughs> on the road, middle finger extended. Weiss makes Gleason drink hot water with her in a chair room. <laughs> Weil has fixed up Betty with a new rod. Miracle cure. I mean... My parents died off-screen years ago. It's what brought me back, actually, from somewhere. <laughs> They're all the candor. Rod limps in with a cane, goes, Ghosts! And stamps off. <laughs> Mm, on cinema score, I would give his current physicians a D. You should talk to him. You seem fun. Fun? I'm not that kind of doctor, but I'll talk to his leg. The next day, Rod shows him his leg CG and goes, Pretty bad, eh? <laughs> I've seen worse Thanksgiving, also House of Wax. Gleason hooks Rod's leg up to a prop from the Prestige and starts stroking it with a suction cup. Rod licks his lips. Oh, yeah. Uh, me balls are feeling a bit rubbish, too, actually. Speaking of which, when I was a child, I stole a plastic acorn from the henway in your ballroom. Weiss pops her head into view from behind a sofa. Yeah, those acorns suck. Take the rest if you want. No, they're magnificent. So much so my mother burned it in a grate. 
Me sister's name was Susie, but we called her Suki because it was similar. <laughs> a bird gets bored of their conversation and flies out the door. <laughs> <laughs> Swallow, they should be gone by now. Speaking of which, come to our dinner party tomorrow. We're having the Wittishans and the Illywhackers over for broil peasant. The next evening... Gotcha! Betty screams and drops a glass. Mr. Gleason! Oh, I think I soiled me pantaloons. Gleason watches wife stand on a ladder and glue her hand to some wallpaper. Just pinning the house back together. Help yourself, if we have any glasses left. Pay no attention, Betty. I think you're very smart. Betty smiles at him, then screams and drops a tray of glassware. <laughs> uh, as Weiss spills a pail of glue onto her head, Gleason's all, You look beautiful. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Me? She lights a cigarette and farts, setting fire to the glue in her hair. Hasn't touched a drop yet, has he? And your hair smells ravishing. Some rich people show up. One's all, Oh, the doctor's one of us, Scooby Gobble. <laughs> a lady with a hat's all, I brought someone's blonde kid, I hope no one minds. <laughs> the dog's all, Plot point, find drapes. <laughs> kid's interested. <laughs> Rampling's all. So, Mr. Piddle Paddle, what do you do? I'm in the air business. Oh, an accountant. No, it's pronounced America. <laughs> Everyone drinks hastily and looks uncomfortable. I'll go try and shake my rod awake. No, he'll want a delicate hand. I'll go. That's Gleason, by the way, not Rampling. <laughs> Sorry. Totally different. He finds Roderick sobbing and drinking in bed, or as I call it, daytime. Later, a little... <laughs> Someone's little blonde girl guzzles some wine, drizzles it all over her head, goes, PARTY! <laughs> Weiss is all, is that legal? Her mom's all, I don't believe in parenting. The kid's all, I'll never go to bed before dawn. Daddy says I French the best. Once I smoke a cigarette, it takes the edge off all the blow. She grabs her, grabs her teeth with an index finger, then sees the dog by some curtains and goes, Chip! <laughs> Rampling's all, uh, uh, it's not our dog's name. <laughs> My mother was hard on rules. See, and look how you turned out, Dr. Gleason. Someone's all, hey, look, a harpsichord. Play something, Lurch. The advertising guy taps some keys and goes, Oh, bees, it's good mood food. <laughs> what? Another guy nudges Gleason and goes, Tony may be a prize face, but he likes a pretty ass. He nods at Weiss. How dare you, sir? Her ass is unexceptional. Suddenly, the little girl starts screaming and bleeding, so the dog loses interest. <laughs> They put the screaming kid on the kitchen table. Later, Gleason stands over the now empty, bloodstained table. I guess they ate the kid.
he blames himself. <laughs> For sampling some of that. Weiss is all, why do people have to have kids? Rampling's all, so much for not having a complex now, huh? As Gleason heads to his car, Rod stumbles out. I tried to tell you, the curtains are haunting. We need blinds. Blinds! <laughs> the next day, Gleason rewards the dog by injecting him with the kid's blood and some peanut butter. Liam! <laughs> oh. He's fine. Later, in Gleason's office, a fat lady watches as Gleason squeezes her boob, turns his head, and coughs. Yes, you have hot issues. It's not beating. Oh, you don't have a pill for that. I'm afraid not, madam. It hardly seemed worth telling her that her husband's acne would probably kill him, too, within the hour. I say, you're just talking to us. It's hardly VO. At least try to not to move your lips, sir. Gleason rolls his eyes at us, walks out, and watches Rod yell at homeless people in the street. Me curtains ain't a girl's face. I'm a golden god. It seemed my treatments had made progress. To celebrate Rod's breakdown, Weiss invites Gleason over to watch her smoke. <laughs> Last night, Rod told me he smelled smoke. I didn't smell anything except me cigarette and the drapes I'd rested them on. I fear he's quite insane. She makes him look at the picture of Suki. Oh, this was her last happy day. Said she saw a mother do the funniest thing to some idiot boy on the stairs there, something involving an acorn. By that night, she was quite ill. Look, you can see some dust on part of my shoulder behind her. It's always been my best feature. Speaking of Rod's letting some chaps tear down parts of a wall. Also, I am not fussy. Yes, I've noted. Wait, tear down the wall and break up Moldy's stone parkway. This must be overturned. Hopefully we can get Rod committed in an asylum. Oh, so much for the confidentiality. Rod, look, I know I said you were sane, but I didn't know you were replacing ancient stonework. This is more <laughs> serious than your mental health. You're a pirate, Stark! Out, I say! <laughs> yeah, that night Rod gets mad at literature and burns some books. <laughs> Later, kicking the ashes around and making the mess worse. This is my fault. I should have kidnapped or killed Rod last night. I shan't not do so again. A cart comes to take Rod to a different library that some people want him to burn down. Gleason stares at Weiss and goes... When you say you're not fussy, he takes her to a tuxedo work party. Ooh, a bunch of dancing doctors and strumpets. I want all the gossip. Well, see, Pudrick there, his little girl was recently maimed in a curtain canine mishap. Uh, a random person walks up and goes, fresh from the test tube, spikes their drinks and scampers off giggling. <laughs> That's Eddie. Ugh, has a bit of a urine fetish. He sips his drink. Oh. His eyes widen and he spits it out in her face. Then he sips again. His eyes widen. I say, old chap, most excellent paper yours in the caddy wampus this morning. Using cocaine for toothaches and shillelaghs as anesthetic. Oh, it's brilliant. Goodness, Dr. Gleason, you're a somebody, ain't ya? Let's find somebody for you to dance with while I pair up with a pretty nurse. No, they want a pretty nurse. You and I can dance, can't we? 
They flap around like chickens and stamp their feet. <laughs> hey, see that man with the bow tie? His nickname's the Octopus because of his eight arms and his hatred of Spider-Man and the poisonous ink. He's Brenda. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Psychotic British person screams, Square dance! He points at Weiss and goes, Ha ha, you drew Dr. Octopus! Later, I say, Gleason, that bird of yours has got hips and knows what to do with them. Talk about nitty knocking bags of mystery, eh? She makes my baddie fang harder than Collie shingles. And those gas pipes mad as hops. Pity she has the looks of a parish pickaxe. Those dowagers whoop her ups and a sauce box I could boil a parrot on. But don't let all that stop you, my boy. We're within your league. Ugh. Everybody's talking about you and her mafficking till her pod snapper shoots into the brown. Make your move tonight. Uh, I wish there was more of him. Gleason makes his usual expression. Later, in the jalopy, Weiss lights two cigarettes and a pipe and goes... Sorry, I didn't bring anything for you. Brenda thought you and I were at it. I hope you put her swiftly right. Enjoyable intercourse is for the lower classes. God, my feet are perished and me boobs. Woo! Oh, I don't want to go home yet. It's only past two. Let's go somewhere exciting. Gleason interprets this to park in the dreary woods they're in the middle of. They sit in silence for 20 minutes. I lean over to Maggie Smith and whisper, that's my move, too. <laughs> Eventually, Gleason goes in for the thigh, but turns out to be a horrible kisser. Ugh, oh, JK, oh, I can't. I can't, I can't, I can't. For fuck's sake, I thought you wanted to. So did I. Then I tasted you. She runs off into the woods, sobbing and cackling. The next day, Gleason stands at an amphitheater in front of a classroom of old men, points at some medical charts with a pointer and goes, After I put my hand on her leg, there was a slight fall in blood pressure. And here another one for me when she said, I can't, I can't, and ran off into the woods. <laughs> An old man in a top hat stands up. Move to London, bro! They have mildewy residences and troubled women there. All the other old men are all, Yeah, at least woods farther from the house, right? Gleason sighs. As usual, the medical profession's useless when it comes to matters of the heart. That night after work... Welcome back, old Bean. How's it going? Had a pregnant 13-year-old. But Dad beat it out of her. Other than that, no smiles today whatsoever. Brilliant! <laughs> By the way, Weiss called. Blah, blah, rampling ghosts. I couldn't leave fast enough. Gleason's eyes widen very slightly. He drives over. Oh, I heard knocking sounds. Yes, that was me, so you'd let me in. No, last night. And check this out. She takes him upstairs where Rampling and Betty are giggling and trying on dresses and shawls together. Yes, I've already met these characters. <laughs> Not them, these! She shows him a bunch of blue and white S's scratched into the wood of a wall. And the word Suki. Suki is a fairly common name among Vimy mice. Beside me, Dingus is all mice. Oh God! Yeah, God's right, Dingus. Where am I? And the knocking sounds are clearly pipes heating, right? Yes. Speaking of which, last night in the car, you and me. 
pipe's heating, but it's winter. Freezing then. Speaking of which, you and me. Look, about that terrible foreplay you attempted on me last night. Rampling and Betty roll their eyes, yawn, and leave. Gleason's all, shh. A man is talking. He takes Weiss's hand, <laughs> stares at it. Uh, like a child. Ugh. Anyway, last night convinced me that we have spectacular chemistry. Once we're married, <laughs> Weiss does a spit take in his face. With just spit. Gleason's all, just say yes. All this house needs is a big dose of happiness. And who can be unhappy when I'm around? She yanks her hand out of his and pretends to mess with the stove. Gleason grins at us. Nailed it. <laughs> Gosling stands up in front of me and goes, Just a- <laughs> I guess he's bored. Just a quick reminder, this Tuesday at 4.45 a.m. only at the Tustin Corn Dog Multiplex, I will be appearing in Lionsgate's new reboot of the 2004 Misunderstood Yuletide Stocking Stuffer Surviving Christmas. <laughs> the motion picture that my protege, Ben Affleck, made right before Gigli. It's the timeless story of a lovably handsome music executive who, because he's both wealthy and universally disliked, rents a family for the holidays. Uh... Same plot line as David Spade's Dickie Roberts, except that I uh, hook up with the water instead of the mom. I mean the daughter. Also, Walter. We've got a screw point torpedo of the water. Also, I'd like to point out that in my movies, my relationships with women always end very well. Even in RL, whenever I pop in on Eva or Rachel or Emma, they're always, next time, call first. Never enough gossling. I always want more. Even if it's just my voice going to voicemail a few times beforehand. Eventually he sits down. The next day, Gleason hugs Weiss from behind while she tries to write Roderick. I think I'm making a terrible mistake marrying this fucking red-haired... Ah! Doesn't that feel good? I embrace! I can't wait till your brother's back home making us breakfast in bed every morning. Or better yet, bacon and eggs. What? We wouldn't be living here with rambling? Ugh. I thought we were moving to London. Those are square dances. Don't worry, I turned down that high-paying position to stay here with you. You're welcome. You rang, miss. I didn't ring. It must have been mother. Uh, no, ma'am. It pretty sure it's the bell by the words awkward conversation with Gleason. Betty enough. Suddenly all the bells start ringing. Weiss opens a trap door. A bunch of dust falls on her face. See? Mice and children. I'll get some poison tomorrow at the Brontes across the street. We can listen to these bells till then, can't we? Gleason loses interest and walks out. Rampling comes in, picks up a brass speaking tube and goes, Guys, listen! <laughs> Betty listens. Uh, what do you hear? <laughs> I don't know, Kelly being dumb? Rampling <laughs> walks into a fireplace room and picks up the two. Hello? <laughs> so no, this is Charlotte Rampling. <laughs> the door slams. Then a ghost bangs on it for a while. Rampling bores it into leaving by forgetting how to open a window. Later, Gleason listens to the tube and finally hangs up. Yes, Suki, buy me my heating tubes, pipes. Try to enjoy it. 
No one's blaming you, Betty. Betty's all for what? The next day, Gleason stands in a hallway at work till his friends all, Gleason, stop. <laughs> Had a routine tosselectomy. Accidentally sewed a pig's ear into it. And the things, the mishaps I committed with my patients were even stupider. His friends all, alcohol. Later at a tavern. <laughs> I was at a girl's school once. They had a fad for fainting. A speaking tube annoyed Charlotte Rampling. Isn't that the old theory of the poltergeist? As a doctor, I blame those and Bigfoot for most of my malpractice suits. Look at my fainting females. Science has no answer for women. Speaking of which, that Betty. Betty's a child. I know, right? The next day, Gleason and Weiss walk into a bedroom to see Rampling lying dead with a shard of glass in her fist and throat and the sheets drenched with blood. I see her condition has improved. That will be a hundred pounds. Later at the funeral, an old woman's all, What did you say your name was again? Faraday. No last name, ma'am. Nope, sorry. My sister never mentioned you. Which black bear were you in? Later, Weiss wakes up to find <laughs> Gleason staring at her, faces inches from the pillow. You snore like a sow. Yeah, well, you should go. Not till you eat something, Mrs. Funnybutts. He pours her whiskey from a thermos and crushes her foot with his hand. Good news, I'm ready to move in, as are the bridesmaids. Six weeks from today. <laughs> Weiss instantly shuts her eyes and starts snoring again. Gleason sighs fondly, then goes to the kitchen to make Betty drink hot water with him. Ah, uh, the last time I ate here, I was eight. Mom, standing over there, minutes away from slapping two teeth out of my head for the acorn. Finest day of my life. Betty's all, speaking of old men, my dad wants me to come home, says this house sucks. What? Leave all this. You have to stay. Look after wise, listen to my reminiscences. That's what's really cool. She's getting married, you see, to the finest doctor in England. Betty smiles excitedly. Who? Later, Lisa comes into Weiss's room, dumps a box in her lap, and removes the lid. Inside's a wedding dress. We should get you something to wear as well. <laughs> it was my mother's. I had to dig her up less. Sorry, I can't do this. No, no. Oh, you mean talk dresses. I understand. We should be naked and carve the tattoos first. Here, I'll start. I can't marry you. Darling, you're confused. How could you not want to marry these? No, I'm good. Thanks, though. Bye. Tom, um, that's the laudanum talking. I want you to be happy. Right, me too. That's why I don't want to marry you. I'd rather marry Rod's leg. I'll sell this dump. Go to London, Canada, America. Canada? <laughs> Gleason calls in drunk and gets sick. <laughs> then he eats some toast. His VO's all. Man cannot outrun himself. That night, someone knocks on his door and makes him go to someone's house. A coughing bald man lies in bed and finally goes limp as Gleason injects him with peanut butter. He stands and faces the gathered family members. Your father-in-law is now at peace. That's not the patient. Gleason sighs, drives into some woods, then gets mad at his car. Back at Castle Rampling, Weiss hears doors pounding and boards creaking. The ghost moaning. 
She's all, oh, that sounds like ghosts. I'd better go hassle them while standing by the very low railing near these stairs. Oh, it's you. The cameraman. Wah! <laughs> I was hoping for that. Later in a courtroom. The last thing I remember saying was how happy she was about leaving and not having to marry some creepy loser. Uh, okay, thank you, Betty. Dr. Gleason, your whereabouts last night weren't accounted for. Uh, anything to add? Clearly it was suicide. I'm 0 for 9 now. Gleason goes to the house with a little metal bucket, I guess to collect Weiss's remains. Uh, but first he decides to take a little stare out the window break. I got the place cheap once they found out it was missing a few acorns. House rambling. <laughs> I never thought its doors would open to me, a common village boy. Now to propose to Betty. His child self stares down at him from the top of the stairs. The kid's expressions all, So I'm a ghost? <laughs> I'm not named Suki. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Lindelof stands up and goes, Too explicit! The end. Kelly <laughs> uh, Wand, it all comes together. It makes sense. I think I understand now. Thank you. Right? See, I'm like a paranormal investigator. All right, I made us see this, so I'll, I'll go last. Uh, Dingus, why don't you start us off? What's a movie that is better than The Little Stranger, a movie that's not quite as good, and uh, what did you think of it? All right, um, I uh, I would put The Others just below this. Ah! Uh, <laughs> Kelly Wand, you've just caused physical pain to Kelly Wand. To Dingus. The Others, bro. We're The Others. We're The Others. I love The Others. Um, I never saw it, but once. Saw it. Uh, the one time, and I liked it. Then. Yeah. Yes, true. I may not hold well, up. I've never felt one inkling to ever see it again. But I was like, ah, oh, well, that's a good twist. Hey, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really it's a it's a pretty good movie, and I actually love this thing. I love Little Stranger. Um, uh, it was hard for me to to find an over. Actually, uh, I went ahead and went with Gaslight. Um, uh, because I like the way that Gaslight is structured, the 1944 one. Uh, although are there other actually other Gaslights? I think there's a there's a 1941. I think that I think it was remade fairly quickly after being oh. made the first time. Okay. Um, but the 1944 one with Ingrid Bergman is uh, is the one I really like. Although there is a little too. Uh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> There is a little too much mustache twirling, I'm afraid, in it. Uh, and By that's her? what I. Yes, yes, she's twirling her mustache. That's so her. <laughs> it really is. You have to. You have to appreciate the fact. Try that, it again, uh, Sam. That she was not. That she was not afraid to uh, to twirl her mustache. Yeah. No, of course I'm talking about uh, Char- Char- Charles Boyer or Charles Boyer, I guess you would say. Um, uh, but I really I, – I do like Gaslight, um, and I do like The Others a lot. I think The Others is a little overbearing in some ways um, as far as – one of the things I love about this movie is how restrained uh, so much of it is um, and how restrained the music is in particular. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I really, really did like this movie a great deal. So The Others under, Gaslight over. Kelly Wand, what is your over and under? What did you think? Uh, I tried to watch a movie called The Lodgers because I thought it looked like an over-under, but I couldn't get into it. So my over is Picnic at Hanging Rock. 
And Ooh. Oh. Yeah. Only like unexplainable occurrences. And I was trying to think of, a, of an under as a period piece, but I couldn't think of a good one. Sorry, my under's Mothman prophecies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the Lodgers? I feel like I've seen that. It's some. Um, uh, I watched about 15 minutes of it. I couldn't get into the characters, but it's like a brother and a sister, okay. and they're living in a mansion. And they have to be in bed by night, or the oh right, right, something start, in the hallways. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I, I like, think you made the right call. I don't yeah. want to know how this makes sense unless it's just going to be this for an hour and a half. <laughs> right. And I had a hunch it wouldn't, and then there's like an attempted rape. I like a, the the sister wanders out and like steps on twigs by some ivy. You've seen it. Why am I talking about? I I, I don't know that I made it all the way through because it didn't yeah. make much of an impression. Me, but I, I definitely, yeah. I, I was confusing it with the uh, innkeepers. Is the the Pat Healy, Sarah oh, Paxton? Oh. Yeah. yeah. All right, so, but that's definitely that's not unexplainable. The logic so is just fairly recent. I guess. But oh, okay. it made me want to read the book because after I saw Handmaiden last year or two years ago, whatever it was, uh, I read the Sarah Waters novel and I really liked it, Fingersmith, and it was way different, especially. With well, this is like is yeah. This is apparently like nothing. This is definitely not her normal yeah. stuff. And I think it's true to the book. Like, I think you – it's unexplained. Oh, so you have read this book? No, I looked it up a little bit. Oh, so oh, like, okay. oh, it's oh, taking me too sorry. long. Well, I just wanted to see – I don't know. I read a little bit. So, and real quick, overall, what, were you into this? I was really into the atmosphere um, and the acting. Uh, but I don't know if, if it's a good ending or not. I couldn't okay. decide. Uh, so I'm, I'm – Thing is, you were the one I was kind of worried about. I didn't know. I, I I figured you would like it just because it's such a showcase for Donald Gleason. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I don't know really if you guys good. know Ruth Wilson or not, but I, I she's I, I love her. She's awesome. She's crazy and, good. She's not and bad I, looking. I only me. know her from from uh, from Saving Mr. Banks. I think. What? What is that? Is that the Disney or the? Uh, That's the Disney thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh. What does she play in it? it? Uh, she plays somebody named Ma- Margaret Goff, which who just works for him. It's cool is it a good part? Like, is it? There's, does she get much to do? She's just she, not really. Uh, okay. But I mean, and, and I think she does a voice in Locke, but uh, but mainly yeah. I know her her face from from Saving Mr. Banks. She's got a very distinctive face, yeah. and I think she's, she's critical. Crazy. Yeah. I think she's crazy sexy. Like I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I do. yeah. So uh, I my under is so okay. I, I really like this. I like this a lot. Uh, and uh, instead of doing a movie that's better or worse, one of the things I really like in this is the pacing. And I can understand it would be too slow for a lot of people. Uh, and I didn't. I'm not as concerned about you guys, but I think the the average person who sees this is going to lose patience with it. And it, it turns out to not be a ghost story, and I think that's going right. to frustrate a lot of people. Um, right. So I, I love this. I love the pacing, and I love what it does with the concept of a ghost story. So my under and over are also ghost stories that I really like, one of which is is kind of ruined by the pacing being too slow, and the other which – is kind of compromised by the pacing being too fast because I really like how this one hits the sweet spot. It would be too slow for a lot of people, but for me, I love the pacing in this, yep. partly because of how fascinating the, the direction and the, and the performances are, uh, the production values. It, it looks to me like an Edward Gorey illustration, and I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my over and under are pacing that's a little too fast and a little too slow, and my over is a Poltergeist. I, I love Poltergeist, but I feel that Poltergeist plays more like a, a thrilling Steven Spielberg movie than a creepy ghost story. I like it. 
but it's fast. It's uh, it's mainstream, uh, and it's. It, it, I feel like it's it sort of compromises the ghost storiness of it and makes it a bit more of an adventure, um, which is fine. That's Poltergeist steel. Yeah. Now my under is how I know Ruth Wilson. Um, Anthony Perkins has a son named Osgood, oddly enough, and he goes by Oz Perkins. And he directed a movie called I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. <laughs> and I watched this movie, and it starts with a uh. voiceover, a voiceover uh, which is really oddly kind of clunky prose. Uh, and you might think, oh, the movie's poorly written. But later on, it becomes clear why the prose is that way, and I think it's very clever. Uh, so you're watching it, and there's this, this long voiceover, and it's a woman talking about uh, what – death does to a house and there's a long shot of just an empty house from inside the house looking at the front door and eventually the front door opens and two people walk in and they're out of focus and you can tell from their dialogue one of them is bob balaban uh that it's a caretaker for the house hiring a hospice nurse for a woman who lives in the house who's old and sick she's an old she's a very successful horror writer and she's terminally ill so bob balaban is her caretaker has hired someone to be her hospice nurse and that's who's doing the voiceover and as the voiceover continues the actress playing the hospice nurse who has a really striking face and her hair is pulled back really tight uh she's got a kind of a wide smile and weird piercing eyes she steps forward into focus and looks directly at the camera as her voiceover says the line, uh, my name, I don't even remember her name, my name is so-and-so, I'm 28 years old, I will never be 29. And then the movie starts, and the person looking into the camera, and she doesn't have an English accent, I had no idea Ruth Wilson was English, is Ruth Wilson playing this hospice nurse. And she's it's a very different performance, she's got an American accent, her voice is kind of reedy and tremulous when she's doing the voiceover, she's very restrained and nerdy, uh, and the, the, the script is really cool, and I like what it does, but it is way, way too slow. And I didn't know who Ruth, Ruth Wilson was at the time. I imagine if I were to go back and watch it now, I would be fascinated at her performance. But at the time, I had no idea who she was. It super takes its time. It's a very slow burn. Uh, it's very ephemeral. Um, Osgood Perkins has some really good instincts, and I especially like how he goes for creepy instead of scary, and there's no shock value in it. Uh, but I feel it's too slow, and it undercuts it and ultimately compromises it. And it, and, and it makes me think um, – I, I think part of the legacy of Stanley Kubrick is there are a thousand young filmmakers with <laughs> yeah. no sense of pacing. Uh, and I feel like Oscar Parkins thought he was making a shining, and instead it was very slow. So I like I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. You have to stick all the way through it to kind of understand it, uh, and it's how I discovered Ruth Wilson. I'd, I'd never seen her in anything else before and so this was my second movie with Ruth, Ruth Wilson. So those are my over and under. Um and yeah, I'm hugely fond of this. So Dingus shining more carefully. It's well, just, Kelly uh, one had so have you seen I'm the pretty thing that lives yeah, in the house? Yeah, it was too they, slow for me. I didn't like it. But I saw it with a lady and she might have ruined it for me. Cuz when they were did like, you stick with it? Cause well, it I saw the whole it's thing. Another thing. I just thought it Okay, cuz it's a, it's a Netflix release and I feel like it's the sort of thing on Netflix. With Netflix I think people are way more willing to just bail on something rather yeah. than if it had had yeah. a theatrical release. And I think it kind of suffered from being a Netflix 
release because when you get impatient with it rather than stick with it and see where it's going, I think a lot of people would just turn it off and, and, and move on. I felt impatient with it afterwards, though. Well, as, with this, I didn't feel impatient with it afterwards. Right. So well, this, this definitely – I mean I, I, I think that – and I'm surprised too because Dingus and I, neither of us liked Room, uh, which is Lenny no. Abramson's first movie. And I, has any of us seen Frank, the thing where Michael Fassbender is like wearing that paper mache head? I really tried. But I could like tried to watch it or didn't get time to see it. I tried to watch it and I I'm got about this. I got about twenty minutes into it and it was it was that it was it was during that end of the year sort of dash where you're watching as many movies as you can and okay. you're making your list and whatnot and I'm like yeah I, I'm just not going to stick with this okay yeah it's always a fair move well which is surprising to me like I. I you know, Room. I, I, my big problem with Room is, is uh, Jacob Tremblay is the child actor. Yeah. Uh, part of the structure of it. Um, so I, I'm really curious. I don't even know what Frank is or what the whole deal is, or if it, I have no idea what's going on with that. But watching this, I've, I really have a lot of respect for his instincts as a director and his ability to work with actors. Uh, how the thing is shot. He does a lot of really cool stuff where there's a close-up on someone with a very narrow plane mm-hmm. of focus. So mm-hmm. everything else looks out of focus, and it creates this sense of claustrophobia um, and just the production he, value. He so does some weird things with POV. Uh, he he uses the same music person who uh, at times in this reminds me of Carter Burwell. Yeah, bit. yeah, like um, that lone woodwind, that very low exactly. woodwind. Yeah, yeah. Exactly that. right, yeah. Uh, it's a guy named Stephen Rennix, uh, and he did Frank and Room. Uh, he did Frank. That sounds like a, some sort of a weird English dish, but uh, he did Frank and he did the movie Room, um, which makes me more curious to watch Frank in its entirety. Uh, but I couldn't stand Room for the same reason that you just yeah. said. That that kid just when that kid starts screaming, I was like, all right. Well, I'm you're still done. getting some Brie action. Uh, it's yeah, true, right? It's it's, you got Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah, but that this, kid manages to ruin a lot of brie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so this Kelly one, go ahead. Yep. He. And I didn't watch the Captain Marvel trailer. What the fuck's wrong with me? God, I don't watch trailers. <laughs> it's like there was this news headline that said trailers you have to watch this. No. All right, anyway. <laughs> hey, Kelly Wan, welcome to me and Dingus for the past 20 years. Yeah, I know. But now it's a news item? Like, I'm trying to avoid the trailer. Like, if I'll just say it if I'm sitting in the theater and I'm too lazy and baked to get up. Like, that's where I'll go. Of course go, it's a right, news it's item. It, yeah, it's, it's how studios create buzz. The the new Infinity or uh, whatever, Avengers trailers. And someone else reports thing. it. Like, it's not even just a studio. Yeah. Well, that's, that's how blogs work, by the way, too, is blogs get fed this stuff, and they pass it along, and they write spectacular – You know, they, they do uh, headlines that, have, that imply some spectacle, and yeah, it's part of marketing. Kelly Wand, you're, you're above that. But it's supposed to be targeting me, like all this metadata shit's supposed to be like, oh, Kelly Wand will be interested, uh, I guess. Yeah, then I checked. Whatever. But you saw the trailer for this, apparently, so that worked. Yeah, it did. That's true. But that's one time I, I have to I remember the trailer for this starting – and me seeing that, that it was Donald Gleason, and seeing that it seemed like it was a horror movie and immediately closing my eyes and thinking, okay, this is something I'll want to see. Uh, and I didn't see it in the theaters. I didn't see it until it was available online. Uh, but that, So the trailer did its job for me in that it made me aware of the movie made and made me away. want to see it. It made me look away. That's To me, that's an effective trailer is if I look away. See, and I kept watch watching. It. And I went, yeah, I don't know what the hell happens. I better see the movie. Right. It intrigued right. me. But okay, so just to make sure I understand because you guys are kind of uh-huh. smarter than me. Uh, about it. like you had to kind of walk me through Beak's cutoff and stuff. So 
He's Carrie, right? <laughs> Carrie? You mean so he... It has to be him. talking about get... him getting separated from himself, kind of? In the... Well, yeah, and he's the ghost, because she goes, oh, it's you, in the early on, when she, he almost runs over the dog, and she says, oh, it's you at the end, so it's him, right? She has, that's not just her catchphrase. Oh, it's you every time she sees anybody. So it has to be. Dingus, I would be curious. Dingus, you feel this. I'd be curious what you think because I've got some strong opinions on what's going on. She doesn't know what he looks like as a kid. So if it's him as a kid as a ghost up there, she wouldn't go, oh, it's you, that guy I know as an adult. Okay, Dingus, go. (laughs) Explain the movie to me. Wait a minute. Why am I having to do this? All right. Well, I'll go first. I I confess ignorance. I don't know. Here's the thing I I think, and I don't say that, I I think I come across like a dick when I say this, but I don't think there's ambiguity here. I think there's subtlety. Uh, And I. Good, because I want to know what what the answer is. I think that the filmmaker definitely has, uh, like, there's an objective reality that this movie eventually presents. That's what I thought. And it's. It's presented in subtle ways, and there's some cues that I think could, could be rel- could be easily missed. Mm. Um, but I do think that there's internal textual support for exactly what happened in this movie. Okay. What is it? All right. So anyway, so I, there there is no ghost. Everything was adult Donald Gleason Faraday. This is a movie. This is so. So uh, yeah. Good. So Victorian ghost stories are. Uh, this whole idea of a ghost being a, a state of psychology or it's, a, it's, it's morality, uh, before ghosts became like shock stuff, early Victorian ghost stories like uh, Charles Dickens, the um, – one of those Christmas ghosts, uh, Scrooge. Or what, they have so yeah. many names. Oh, Christmas story. Christmas no. Carol. Christmas Carol. Right. That's it. Okay. It's not so those are Victorian. Either. That's another dumb thing. Yeah. What is the actual name? It's called Scrooge, right? No, it's called a Christmas <laughs> Right. It's the only one I haven't read Carol. at Dickens. Yeah, it is. I think it is a Christmas. I think Dickens no, is, is right. Scrooge, I'm just saying it's Scrooge a dumb is title. the Bill Murray version. Okay, right, right. No, I know there's so many variations on it. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's your classic Victorian ghost, is the ghosts represent uh, you know, the, the spirit of giving and, and, and altruism, and they come to this greedy man, uh, or turn of a screw. Uh, so I, mm. I think this is in the tradition of Victorian ghost stories, but I would I would call this – uh, almost this is going to sound super like wonky, but I think this is an Edwardian ghost story about the collapse of uh, nobility, the noble class yeah, in yeah, the UK, that and it's about resentment of that and envy towards that, and it's very specific. This isn't technically the Edwardian period, but this is something that came about during the Edwardian period, and the English stopped naming their periods after kings once World War two happened i guess world war one even uh so but i would see this as an extension of of england losing her rule her noble class uh and this is the last gasp of that class system and that's what this ghost represents and this ghost is nothing more than donald gleason or faraday's envy and resentment there is no suki ghost there is nothing supernatural uh so it's the a dog. Victorian- there's what? So the kid actually did get bitten by the dog. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. No, well, uh, yeah. we see well, a lot the, of the things. The kid that was object- being an asshole to the dog. Oh, I yeah, mean, she was constantly true. chasing after it, and she has no boundaries. She's raised by people who are, who are who don't have rules. They're like, well, yeah, just let her run around after the dog and do whatever, and, and eventually that's a dog of, is going to bite her in the face. Uh, okay. And that's kind of the point, too, of that little scene is when the woman says that rules cause neuroses – 
uh, th- these neuro like that's a cue eventually to to what's happened to Donald Gleason's character. Right. Is right. these rules have caused neuroses right, in right. him. He's gone insane, and he he murders. Uh, he doesn't even love uh, psychosis. Right, right. No, he doesn't. Uh, I, I think it's all about – It's exactly. It's all about the house. It's all about being a member of the landed yeah. gentry. Uh, it's all about owning property and him being the son of of poor people, of the serving class, and then finding himself in the middle class but still wanting to rise higher above that. Uh, so I don't think there's any ghost here. I think that uh, there are enough cues in both the, the script in terms of like that little bit where the mother says rules cause neuroses uh, – the big reveal, of course, is when you see that, that he's been writing that script on his ledger, mm-hmm. that the, the little S's for the word Suki, that that's right, his hand. Right, okay. But the, and then the reveal after that, we know that there's no ghost at that point. Right. At that, what, after that, the surprise is, well, what happened to Caroline? And when we discover that she was pushed off the landing, uh, you know, there's no question there that it's a ghost anymore that did it. So I mostly he, had it. I just did get the dog. Okay. Well, the dog, yeah, yeah, Dingus is right. The dog was just right. great. And I love, I love how ominous that scene is, too, as it's yeah. winding up. That's another yeah. place where I feel that Lenny Abramson and the is dialogue. a really solid director. Right. It's just like the, the refined dinner party with that minor undercurrent of chaos as the dog is moving around, the little girl's chasing him, and that that's going somewhere. And it's like, why is that in the frame? Yeah. What's going to happen with that? Why are they why behind reminding us? Yeah, exactly. It's super creepy and really disarming. A movie called but, The Little Stranger. <laughs> But I think a lot of the stuff that happens uh, inspires Faraday to create a ghost story because he needs to get Roderick out of the way and he needs to get uh, uh, Mrs. Ayers out of the way, to get Lady Ayers yeah. out of the way, Charlotte Rampling's character. Um, so he uses their idea of a ghost story and he uses this idea of women being susceptible to, to hysteria, as his, his doctor friend tells him. Um, and he, you know, when Roderick, if anything, like Roderick is almost has these weird premonitions right. that I think he decides to make come true. Uh, and that's one of the reasons he have to, has to get rid of Roderick, too. I don't know that he starts the fire, but when Roderick talks about selling, smelling smoke, that's like a premonition. He makes them to the nuts. Well, he's yeah, exactly. also well, shell-shocked. I, I mean, Roderick has serious mental issues right. from the war. Yes, right. And I don't, uh, I don't think that he I, – I think what happens with Roderick is not something necessarily that Faraday did. No, I think that I think that Faraday, I think Faraday is able to play off of the the neuroses that already exist in this house. Right. And and part of it is the the splintering of his of his consciousness from and his subconsciousness that that they have a scene about in the bar um, where, you know, where he's got this rage and this malevolence and and he's overtaken by this this desire and want for this life that he he does not have access to and there's no way for him to have access to it so what is he going to do he's going to try to uh he's going to try to access it in any way he can at this point uh, and i think that you make a really good point tom about how this is talking about the end of this particular part of the english empire what about the bell and, well, presumably, uh, so I, I think partly uh, it either is. So <laughs> I love the little actress that plays Betty. Her name yeah, is she's uh, awesome. Liv Hill. She is so yeah, awesome. She is really great. She's, and yeah. there's, a, there's a point where uh, – She where lives. She, <laughs> she makes it out. Yeah, and there's a point, too, where, where she is agreeing when uh, when Caroline says that it's mice that are uh, pulling the bells. She agrees, and she goes, moist. Yeah. Which is like Dingus saying nice. Yeah. <laughs> not moist. Her moist was so adorable. Because Dingus likes when, Philip when, Noyce. 
<laughs> right. And when Faraday says that he's getting married, that look on her face, yeah. she's just got a beautiful little face and she's so yeah. expressive. I loved that yeah. actress. Yeah. Um, so at any rate, Kelly, I don't think the movie is super interested in the mechanics of That's, when, okay. did, when did Faraday do what he did and, and are the that. bells him? And, who, and who's shaking the door when Charlie right. Rampling's in he's the down, Yeah, because he's not in there. And that's supposed to be her unreliable narrator. Well, that, that, you know, it, she's that, gone nuts, hysterical. Well, that I mean, he, yeah, basically. But her uh, and when, Betty when we and see the bells. Her, okay. When we see her with Betty, she's obviously – like she, when she, she's lost her mind pretty much. I, right, I but Rachel has it, and only Rachel and Betty are listening to the bells, and they're both saying, Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. I mean, Ruth, Ruth Gordon. Jesus, Ruth Wilkins. I, th- I think name? the director might be playing fast and loose with some of the idea of the of the house having some uh, some hold over them. Um, well, I, I thought that's, it was that's, him. Like that, he, that's it. his voiceover. That I think is what. Uh, is what Faraday is is, is very keenly expressing is right. the the idea of the house casting a spell, um, right, and summoning uh, him. Well, and so I mean, that's what, what I was going to say about Roderick is I think Roderick, who has these eerie premonitions, and and I think might be the closest to something supernatural in this movie, Roderick's reference about there being some a thing in the house that and hates smelling them. smoke that hates him exactly, and smelling smoke, uh, and uh, eventually. You know when he when he realizes that Faraday is a pirate stock, like Roderick yeah. knows what's going on. But I think Roderick's superstition inspires Faraday to run with this idea of of driving Charlotte Rampling out, and unfortunately, it also drives Caroline away. Uh, so he kind of, uh, you know, his own plot succeeds too well uh, in a way. But he does that specifically just to get Charlotte Rampling out of the way. But she can sense, because women are smart about this stuff, that he really wants the house and not her. And he has to talk himself into her in the first place. So she knows. Charlotte well, Rampling. You no, uh, Weiss. Ruth You're Gordon. talking about Caroline. Caroline, well, yeah. Uh, well, I think, Caroline, I think Caroline is, wants women, to be quite honest. Thank she, she's, she She has the most fun dancing with that, that other nurse. I mean, that's the moment, that's the only moment of joy, I think, that you see from her. And I I think that, I think there's a little undercurrent of that. I don't think she's she she like, at all. Somewhat, you would, you would definitely be right based on what Sarah Waters writes, but right. I don't oh. think that that's part of Lindy Abramson's uh or, or Lucy Coxon was the. I don't think that's necessarily part of the script, but, oh. but definitely that's Sarah Waters' angle. Is all of her other stories are about lesbian women. Um, well, so I like that them, you keyed in on that. Look at yeah. them dancing. I mean, when I when I, I watched it with uh, with our friend Alexandra, and you know, in that dance that dance sequence where they like, let's close our eyes and clomp around for a little bit, and then. And then her nurse, her friend shows up, and she's like, "Yeah, let's dance!" <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, Brenda. I mean, they are so they are so full of joy, uh, and there is there's an immediate like electricity between them. But she's also uh, out of the house and not around Friday. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing is she wants to go out and have fun, and he's not he's quite able fun. to. He's not quite able to provide that, and that that builds his resentment too. He sees how much fun she has with her old friends, yeah. because oh. because there's also there's also the the impl- actually not the implication. It's very clearly stated that Caroline, I think, was away running an inn or something, and she had to come back yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to the yeah, house. Yeah. So she's closed in this house, and she obviously hates hates is miserable it. and hates it. And there's some resentment there. So I, I think when she fr- 
revisits that younger time with her friend, that uh, accounts for a lot of that joy. And Dig is, uh, I, I do love that you you suggest maybe it is a lesbian thing because that the writer of the the story would be delighted to hear you say that. Yeah, oh. sure. Yeah, that's why I would read the book know, okay. and see if if he's thinking guess, along those lines because I think it's from his point of view. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have uh, you know we have got uh, only two people wrote in. I. I personally asked them to because uh, they're friends of mine on Slack um, and it would, this would be Josh Lubliner and uh, Chris Margotson and Josh um, I don't think either of them really liked it as much as you and I did Tom um, especially Josh was not crazy about it he, he says he's going to disagree with us but he says something that I didn't even think about he says he probably killed the sister when he was in the hall as a child Somehow. How? That's another thing. No, she dies. I mean, she she dies of like she gets sick and, and she dies. Gets unless he, unless right. he right yeah. unless he has some like vial of of germ warfare in his pocket. That's the thing. It keeps getting lucky. Like you can see where he thinks it, that it would make him even crazier. But yeah, see, everything I want's happening. They called me right. for the Betty and uh, the. Right, I, I, I think part I of the deal. I don't know if I missed something because I, did, I don't. I don't think that's what happened. I mean, uh, the it others also has like this whole. Ter- I mean, this is the forties, right? We're we're it's in the between. middle of the forties here, and uh, uh, and the others takes place in nineteen forty-five, and so there's there's tuberculosis that's you know sweeping the nation. I thought it was because um, Roderick's... Well, but this is, the little girl, too, is from 1919. I, I imagine it would have been the... Yeah, you're right. It's 1919. That is um, 1919. You're right. right. So I, I think, too, the, the idea with, the, with what they're getting at with the little girl is, first of all, it gives him fodder for a ghost, and Charlotte Rampling has never recovered from that. But I think the, the photograph is... The visual of the photograph is kind of the structure of the movie mm. in that they see Suki and really he's behind her and yeah. that he is obscured by her and he uses her image to drive them out of the house. So that photograph is kind of a representation of what's going on is they're looking at Suki and he points out to her, you know, that's that's my shoulder back there. I'm I'm behind Suki. Uh, and that also is kind of an implication that that's an indication of what's going on with the story is that there is no ghost. He's just using her. He's behind her. There's also uh, a really well, good. Well, Caroline says, you know, she upstaged you as she upstaged all of us. Yeah, there's a good line where he's treating Rod's leg and uh, or something, and then he's, he's told, uh, "Yeah, we're tearing the wall down. We're going to put up uh, public housing." And then he goes, "That'd be that's good news for you, isn't it?" And, or something. And then he goes, "Why would it be?" Like, oh yeah, like, why would I care about your cheap housing? How dare you? Wait, who, Roderick says that or Faraday says that? Well, Faraday says it in response. Faraday says, why okay. would I? Well, so that's another thing that yeah, I also love. And it, the movie doesn't hit on it, but I think it's just such a powerful shot is, uh, you know, the, the reason that Faraday takes exception with the lot being sold for housing uh, is because he wants it. He wants to be part of right. the landed gentry that is dissolving. He wants to be yeah. part of the noble class that is fading away, that's in decrepitude. He wants that. So he's thinking that that's his land that is being yeah. given away. Yeah. And when he finally loses everything and he's up in the window looking out over the housing development that's been built, that's like – and, and that and this is this is like like where the movie's just mm. I'm totally sold on its point. That's the rise of the middle class eating up the nobility. Yeah, like right. like in Europe generally, uh, 
nobility tended to collapse suddenly or violently like the French Revolution. But the UK is kind of unique in that no, the nobility slowly decayed and faded into the middle class. Uh, and that's just this great representation of that historical fact and that character's perspective on it and his resentment towards it and his failure is him just looking out the window at that one carved out lot with those little affordable housing houses being built. I just love that image and that that's part of the end yeah. of the movie. There's a line too where uh, Roderick's all, yeah, the war duty's at 175%. And I, had, I looked that up. I was like, what the fuck's a war duty? What is a war duty? It's like the the upper classes had to pay for the war afterwards. It was like an oh right, well, that's, it was an estate yeah. tax. Right, well that's what that's what nobility does. Is yeah. a monarch uh, levies taxes. They get the 175%. nobility to pay for their wars. One hundred seventy five percent. So when yeah. when Donald Gleason's character when they go and they when they when he goes with Caroline to inspect the uh, the new building. That is going on, and uh, and the builder shows them the plans. This is where this is going to go. These are the appointments that are going to go into these these bits, and they have and there's this beautiful long long shot of them winding their way through this this field, and there's this de- decrepit like the structure that's falling down, and he says he he kind of turns the corner there with Caroline. He says, hey, I don't know if he's telling the truth truth or whatnot i would be interested in hear what you say um where he says that i i think you're i think this is the right way to go with this but this is something that my that my mother could have could have had had she not worked herself to the grave to put me into uh put me through school um is he being sincere there Uh, about the housing or about what about the housing about the housing because he because he says you know what I, I think that the, these lodgings are appropriate, or whatever he says. I'm not sure what the actual good. line is. He's driven you think only, he's never good? Yeah, I think he's only he only wants the house from beginning to end. Well, I, I mean, Kelly, Wanda, I agree with you, but I don't think he lies. Like, I, I think no, part of the problem doesn't. is a lack is a lack of self awareness. Like, he doesn't, mm. and that and and it's he really like her. It, it's what's remarkable too about Donald Gleason's character is. He's so impassive, but Donald yeah. Gleason, the way he plays it, there yeah. is this undeniable quiet seething yeah. uh, that is a, the quality of his performance. Uh, and I think everything he says, like he believe, he probably believes he loves her, but it's it's such a great character detail. He wants to. That <laughs> he wants to, and I think he believes it, and he, it's what he believes love should probably be. Um, but the, one of the great character details is that for his wedding day, he doesn't write wedding day. He writes no appointments. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. such a great little I moment and a great insight into oh, how British. he thinks. Yeah. Is it's not a joy, it's not a joyous day. It's a day that he just can't simply take any appointments. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's as happy as he can ever home. get. That's his, his, yeah, his yeah. highest peak in the so the so thing is, I, I don't think he ever says anything that's insincere or willfully lies hmm. to Caroline that we see. I mean, he murders her, sure, yeah. but but uh, other than making her think there's a ghost there, and I think he's mainly doing that. She lets him know it's him before the end. Right, right. Uh, but I, I don't think that there's uh, – it's, it's not – it's not like a mustache twirling Charles Boyer, for instance. Okay. I don't think there's any of that. Yeah, um, and and I don't either. It's very and, that, and that's why actor. it was it was hard for me to put gaslight over this because of that. Because right, right. Uh, the gaslight bothers me until the very end when when Joseph Cotton and Ingrid Bergman have their moments together, uh, where the movie really comes together for me in, in gaslight. Um, 
Uh, you know, one of the things that's wonderful about this, and I'm glad you, I'm really glad you highlighted again Donald Gleason's performance, is because if you watch it a second time, the moment where he rolls up to uh, what's it called, hundred, um, hundred eight, uh, hundred. It's just the hundreds, I think. I wanted to say hundred acres, but that sounds like some apple cider or something. No, it really does. <laughs> it's it's not called that. It's called hundred something, but I can't remember what it is. Um, uh, hundred tall. Uh, oh right. Uh, when he rolls up to it and gets out of the car and he looks at it, uh, there is this look on his face, and he barely he barely lets you in, uh, but you can see this this desire, uh, this 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 feeling he and he again it's it's just it's just the slightest thing and i might be putting my own thoughts on it from seeing it a second time because i because i really wanted to watch it a second time because i really love this movie uh watching him get out of the car and look up at hundreds hall the way he looks at it there's there's a desire that he does not look at Caroline with oh yeah at all and he hates to see it's Um, disrepair like it there's like i can fix it and uh, and um, and Markinson says this as well. That when he's when he's touching the banister as he walks up the stairs, yeah, at this one caresses. He's, he caresses it the way uh, the way a, a, a man would right. caress a woman or or somebody that he loves. He the way that his hand just Tender. drips on the wood. It's 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 tenderness. It's it's slightly erotic. Um, there's something beautiful about it, and something, of course, creepy because it's a house. And it's not a cool, uh, it's not a sexy looking banister to us. It's like kind of old, and it's not shot like in golden sunlight or anything. No, it's but, like a hard, but, brittle brown. But you've seen frosty, from dusty. from the bottom of the stairs over and over again him looking up at that skylight, oh, yeah. uh, and he's going up the stairs and he's touching these things that he would never have been allowed to touch Wasn't as a child. The, the house was unavailable to me, but my mother had had people that she knew, so I got to go in and I got to taste the frosting, and and then I got to cross this this weird gold like Rubicon to go to the acorns. Uh, these yeah, things that he, that, that he never could, that he never should have been able to do, that were that were unavailable to him because of his class. And I just love the way that that he looks at the house, the way he touches it, and then at the end, the way he looks at it when it's just filled with, uh, with I don't know, detritus. I mean, it's just just little bits of crap that he's going to have to clean up. And as Tom said, then he looks out over and sees, oh well, okay. <laughs> I can't picture him as people. a kid going up the stairs again after the mom slaps him, going, "Yeah, I'm going to become a doctor. Then you're going to fucking." Well, uh, what's also interesting to me is is the way that doctors are viewed in the class structure here. Yeah, yeah. that one party's pretty bawdy, though. But uh, yeah. It's, well, we we we've we went through this this arc of of looking at doctors as 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 people who are who are rich, um, and in in this time it was like, oh, there's a doctor here. Uh, is somebody sick? No, he's one of the guests. Oh, he's one of us. Yeah, and, he, and he watches the, them because he the, goes, he's a, Roderick's a club member, so I, I, it only costs a few shillings. Like, he's got some special club benefit insurance. 
Well, that, that's a that's a different family that he's talking about who has the the club insurance. Oh, when Roderick right. hands him the shillings, it's like those were his last shillings. But he talks about going to this other family and says and saying. You know, when he's driving Caroline home, he says, well, they pay a few. They, they're members of the club. So I'm done. I, All right. I, 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 they pay a few shillings a year and I, I deal with the family. Um, so it's very much the way that doctors are now uh, on this end of the arc. Uh, I, you know, my my son's pediatrician had to retire because basically he was like nosed out of his practice and put into a larger practice and he had to shovel in 75 patients a day and. He was an older man, and he was like, I, you know what? I'd rather just go to a free clinic and take care of people over there uh, because doctors are viewed differently uh, in different eras of time. And in this era of time, he was not viewed as uh, a member of like, oh, we want our son to become a doctor. It was more like, oh, well, the doctor's going to come out here and we'll take care of it. Part of the irony, too, of the the whole movie is that he's he's basically a generation behind – those barriers between the classes pretty much going by the wayside mm. uh, is that he's so close to all that stuff because all the, you know, all of all of that stuff is being broken down. Middle-class housing is coming up doctors, you know, he's squarely part of the middle class, uh, you know, after world war two, the British empire right. is basically going to sort of fall apart. Um, he, he's just so close to, to like, he's, he's, this sort of character wouldn't exist if he hadn't been given a taste with the industrial revolution and the rise of social welfare, uh, like he's the last bastion of people being deprived of yeah. of that sort of life by their class status. Uh-huh. Uh, which I I love too. How that that's you know if he just hung in there a little bit yeah. longer, if he'd just been born a generation later, uh, there's a bit of a tragedy to it. It's kind of camouflaged because uh, no one go no one would go. Why do you want this? This is a nightmare. <laughs> it's things not worth anything now. Well, well, and that's the, that's the no. thing too that's driven the point that's made throughout the movie is this is all fallout from his childhood. Yeah. And there's a line too about how uh, the the intensity, you know, the it's there's some line about how uh, there's there's nothing quite so intense as a child's desire. There's some line like that. Mm-hmm. I'm screwing it up. Uh, but that whole thing too, where the doctor is explaining to him about a poltergeist being a malicious spirit, he's remembering himself breaking off that acorn and that yeah. act of breaking it off is like a super violent moment and the sound is played up. But uh, it, it, this is all fallout from that one moment of his childhood uh, where he was keenly aware that he's not supposed to touch these things and that he can't have them and that he's separated from them. But he gets to go inside and see how remarkable they are in there and how those children get to eat frosting out of a bowl. Uh, Mm. Like he's just given a taste of what he cannot have and it drives him literally insane. Uh, One of the first things uh, Caroline says to him when he shows up is like, oh, yeah, dogs bark because they think it would be a little stranger stealing our spoons. Right, 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 right. Yep. And that's yep. it. He's a little stranger. And when he, the last time he was in that kitchen was when he would have been the spoon stealer. But and also what it does to him when she says, uh, yeah, we broke off hundreds of those. What's the big deal? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And he's this is a this is a a huge moment for him. You see his his fist trembling. You see basically the splitting of his personality because I think that I, I guess that's what you're supposed to think of as the shot at the end when he looks up and he and he sees the little boy of himself up there. Um, I like that kid too. He was creepy. Yeah, he was he was really good. He was perfect for the part. Um, 
but for but for him to to place that much weight on this moment and to carry this guilt and she says well i i forgive you you're forgiven I, we we broke up hundreds of those yeah. that must suck to grow up like that like to go to just yearn to be a gentleman and constantly be reminded of it like we don't really i mean in america we just have rich dumbass celebrities well that that's nothing. kind of I remember when we saw Death of Stalin. Uh, yeah. It occurred to me that you know we in America don't understand the idea of a of a of a crisis of, of a succession crisis when a king or a leader dies, right. and then right. that's that's a big part of what's going on in Death of Stalin. And I really liked how that movie surfaced that and made it understandable. But this is also something too we don't understand this idea of class, class resentment that yeah, exactly. Although we have system. it though, but it's like you see, you no, see we Trump's don't. What are you talking about? There's a rich versus poor thing. We have one de facto, America. but it's not the traditional class it's system. It's not like the class same. System, part, of, part of what uh, is, I would say, part of American exceptionalism is that we never had that. It's that we, you know, when we, we were a colony, and that was just part of our constitution, was guaranteeing the rights of individual liberties, not having a king. Uh, we as Americans just don't understand class systems the way they do in India or in the UK. It's just not part of our national consciousness, and it never was. What we do have, Kelly Wand, is certainly inequitable, uh, like wealth distribution issues, and they're rich and they're yeah. poor, they're has right. and have not. But our rich people but don't seem class, special to us. Right, with this class system where you're born into a class and you can never get out of it. I mean that's the yeah. de facto truth in parts of the United States, right. but it's not part of the, our social engineering. Cultural, right. It's not engineered into our society, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's that's part of what I respect too about this movie. Like I love horror movies that touch on perspectives that we might not other, otherwise understand, like this or like The Witch, which is like a theological horror yeah. movie. Ah, well uh, put. So yeah. I I love this sort of thing. Like this is like a Tom Chick movie for its insight into a whole different mindset. What that generation uh, really gave a shit about that we can't we have to we only understand by watching these movies. Well, I also think too, and I, it's, I love how how it downplays it, and well, like the the specter of World War II hanging over the yeah. UK. Nobody really talks about it in this movie, and that's kind of cool. It's certainly like like Roderick is a is a powerful visual representation of that. And by the way, I love the makeup on Will Poulter. Like yeah. there were a lot of close ups, and yeah. uh, I thought they did a great job with that scar makeup yeah. and the tufts of hair. Um, but but that's the reminder of the war and. You know, nobody's talking about it, and he's just a guy who's been shoved aside, and uh, he he knows people don't like to see him and don't like to be reminded of the war, and uh, just I like that a lot, uh, yeah. just that historical period in, in the UK, because uh, you you know I would you think everybody would be talking about it like no. we just won World War Two, awesome, but yeah, stiff upper. What do you what else do you know Will Poulter from besides Where the Millers, uh, The Revenant. Um, the Revenant, of course. He, he yeah. was also cast as the clown in It for a while, uh, which I was what? super excited about. The uh, the uh, the Skarsgård brother that got the uh, Pennywise, right? He was cast yeah. as Pennywise for a while in, in It. Um, and I think that's when Carrie Fukunaga was doing It. Uh, but then it, it changed to – I forgot who directed it. But uh, So eventually there was uh, – uh, Michael Skarsgård played the, the clown. But also – and you guys don't know this movie, and I don't know uh, – uh, one of my favorite Tony Collette performances is, is in a movie called uh, Glasslands with an English actor named Jack Raynor, and they, they play uh, Irish characters. And Will Poulter's in that as well, and he's very good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I love Will Poulter. I loved him in this, and yeah, that makeup was Poulter awesome. Poulter Geist I had, tricks us. I had 
no idea he was an English actor. I know, right? Seeing him in Everybody Worth, is. Worth Millers. They, 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 yeah. It's kind yeah. of a, annoying. They all are. Or Australians. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're taking our jobs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a there's a great moment, uh, and this is a plug for this month's 3x3, three by, three, by the way. There's a great moment where he takes Ruth Wilson's hands, and they're like dirty and misshapen yeah. and, and calloused, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they got a stunt hand person for that shot, yeah. uh, because I just remember how striking that was, and certainly he kind of like, – like it, the shot is about how worn her hands are. Yeah, she's been cleaning uh, up the house with wallpaper. Exactly, exactly. Uh and so if yeah, you have health. any ideas, by the way, for freaky hands or claws, send those to 3x3 at quarter3.com. We'll be doing a 3x3 about that at the end of the month. But here's the thing I wanted to say. I just watched a movie. <laughs> I tried to watch it. I couldn't get very far with it. Uh, there's a movie with Sean Bean and Ruth Wilson in it called Dark River, uh, which sounded like it might be. I, I didn't know what it was. I started watching it, and I couldn't stick with it, so it got too slow, and I didn't. I, I gave up. Uh, but in it. It opens with Ruth Wilson. She plays uh, an itinerant worker shearing sheep, uh, and she comes back to England when her father dies, and her father's Sean Bean, and she has flashbacks, and he molested her. And I, It just seemed a little bit too melodramatic, and I didn't feel like watching it, but she's the lead actor in it. And it opens with her, the actress Ruth Wilson, in, in overalls, wrestling with sheep, and sheep seem pretty unruly and they're big and they're fluffy and she's wrestling with the sheep and just running these shears down them and just grabbing big old handfuls of their hair whatever you call it fur wool uh and you know she's physically like working with these rough and tumble sheep but there are a few times in this movie that it shows her hands and you clearly see she does not have the hands of a woman who's been shearing sheep for you know 10 15 20 years wow. uh, so ruined which, well, it it's just a sort of – it's a dumb thing like like clean fingernails that I'll notice in Get the movies. little stranger stunt. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and by the way, there is also – and this just now occurred to me in The Pretty Thing That – I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. There's a scene where she hallucinates that her hands are weird and misshapen uh, <laughs> and with these cancerous tumors. Do you remember that, Kelly Wand? No. Sounds fun. It's well, it's a, it's a hallucination she has in that movie. So, at any rate, Ruth Wilson's hands are, uh, uh, yeah, they're a thing I paid attention to in three different movies. What about her neck, Tom? She does not have that Elizabeth Debicki freaky See, long neck. Uh-huh. I like it, but <laughs> so you're an ET fetishist? Not quite as fascinated. Oh, <laughs> I really, it's really hard to look like Elizabeth Debicki's a beautiful woman. Of course, she's a model, but what I got the thing. JK. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the thing that's beautiful Girl. about Ruth Wilson is she's got this arch to her eyebrows, and the way her upper lip uh, – like like her, her lips are super sensuous and wide, oh. Oh. and she's just got beautiful blue eyes and those arched eyebrows. So that's that's my thing with Ruth Wilson, and she's a great actress. So She's that was a real really, fly. really good at this. Yeah. Uh, so do you, um, do you think there are any haunted – aspects of the house at all because you know, one of the things that Markinson says is that he liked it when the haunted aspects were more subtle um, I, I really think there aren't like I really think they're all misdirection and uh, that that the the reveals are that there's nothing supernatural and there's no ghost and and part of part of what I admire about the movie too is it doesn't really start leaning into the idea of a ghost until about an hour in when they discover yeah, that true. that writing because it's that that's at about the hour mark in the movie and mm. there's you know 
Will Poulter has talked about the thing that hates them, and you know there have been creaks and references, but it's not. It doesn't surface the idea in earnest of a ghost. Uh, I think until about an hour. And end. by then he's been in the house long enough to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so Dingus, I I would say that there's Ring nothing the supernatural in this movie, and I'm I would be willing. You know, I'm certainly open to evidence to the contrary, but I I think the point of the movie is that there is nothing supernatural. So he's in the walls well, with the bells. Well, Josh Lubliner definitely agrees with you. He says, you know, he he he. I think he just lost patience with this movie. Sure, um, it's slow. Uh, and he said, it, it, he said it at the point where the uh, where the girl gets uh, mauled uh, by the dog. Um, it, he says, at this point, I I had basically put together a theory in my head that Donald is the bad guy in the story, and there's nothing supernatural going on. Yeah. He and I and so uh, I I think the director is trying to sort of is trying to straddle a little bit here. I think he is, uh, you know, you, you, you make a decent, um, argument between, uh, ambiguity and subtlety, Tom. Uh, but I think he is being, I think he is allowing it to be um, ambiguous. I think he is allowing that there is some sort of a force that is, that is happening because of, uh, because of the, um, because of the anger of, of, of the young uh, Donald Gleason character mm. separating and and sort of splitting himself, and that's why you see the little kid at the top of the stairs at the end. Um, I don't know; I have no idea if the novel supports this at all. Uh, but I, I just think that there's there there are too many like little things like the like all the bells and uh, all the bells being rung. Uh, I mean, you can kind of excuse it with the mice and whether or not he walks away totally. Uh, you can you can do the Charlotte Rampling thing in the nursery as an unreliable narrator or that kind of thing. Um, but I, I like think that cheating, I, I think he's tr- I think he's I think he's trying. I think the director is trying to straddle it a little bit. Uh, but but it, I agree it's more of a psychological thriller in that regard rather than a supernatural thriller but i think he's trying to he's trying to inject a little bit of supernatural into this i agree 100% ding is that there is a force that is driving uh, these terrible things to happen but i don't think it's a, a ghost i think that force is called class resentment all right uh, class and, resentment so and, and, the bells but that's that's what I that's part of what I, I love about it is this, when a ghost is 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 so baldly a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I and I I really do think you know seeing that he has written the letters I think at that point there's no ambiguity like at that point there's nothing mm. that the so maybe we have a ghost that rings bells but there's it's not Suki because it's not writing its name uh, like I think that. It, at that point, all doubt is removed if there's anything supernatural. And all that's left to find out is what happened to Caroline. Um, mm. Mm. So well, I the mean, ghost is haunting his apartment. Well, what's great the about that? The ghost is writing on his Yeah, exactly. What's great about that is that in the bar, the, the doctor who's talking about the girls fainting is like, well, it's always girls who are going through this type yeah, of thing. girls and ghosts. Well, apparently not, because I think that there is, there is sort of the... A male resentment and uh, and maybe some sort of force of malevolence that comes from him mm-hmm. uh, that isn't 
that can't be blamed on somebody like Betty, who is just homesick. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and also, that's, I, I think, where he just starts – that's cementing the idea that women are susceptible to being – to tricks of the mind. Right. Uh, They're the which, underclass which, of gender. That very good, Kelly. One sure. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's the little stranger uh, haunting women. But but also the uh, like the 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 final shot, and I'm almost not sure it really needs this. But the final shot of the little boy is, I, I think, the director revealing his hand. There's no yeah. actual little boy up there. He's basically saying, "See, this is it was him as it was his." childhood experience all along that pushed Ruth Wilson okay. over the banister. Because, I, I, yeah, that, that's, that's clearly, like you guys talk about the director cheating, that's the ultimate cheat there. He's not actually, as a little boy, standing up there. That's the director saying, here's the metaphor I was going for, let me now show you. Oh. Uh, and so, yeah, there's physically no little boy up there, it's a cheat, uh, but but I think that that's, that, you know, that's Lenny Abramson saying, just to confirm, just to make sure we're all clear on this. Yeah, you guys it was get his it. Childhood experience. Yeah, yeah. I was just uh, fucking around with the bells, but <laughs> right. Um, apparently, the book's more ambiguous. Uh, well, they, there's a whole bell things that he's the narrator. There's a whole bells thing that goes on in Gaslight as well, where they're ringing the bells and so to, get, to get this to get the servants, but it's from the point of view of the person ringing the bell rather than the servants seeing the bells being rung uh which is a which is a, which is another really interesting layer if you watch gaslight uh um, imagine being again, I, by a bell all day jesus christ <laughs> well it's your job kelly wand you it, get to yeah. sit around until the bell goes off it'd it's be like awesome being, it's like being a telemarketer <laughs> customer but, hey did you finally watch sorry to bother you then no oh okay i thought that's why you brought up telemarketers never mind Hang on, I'll write it down. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, Dingus uh, Lubliner wasn't crazy about it. Markinson, I presume, was into it. Um, let's see. Uh, so yeah, Lubliner, uh, Josh didn't. He thought the second act was interminable. Um, he's not even sure where the third act starts. Maybe when they make out in the car, uh, they weren't just making out. But okay. Um, well, well, what? Well, they didn't have sex. So they're making out. I mean, he was making out. She was leaving. It's kind of young. <laughs> so clumsy that scene she, was, too. I mean, that, yeah. that scene was definitely repressed British people trying to be sexual. Like that. Yeah. yeah. It was very gynecological. That's the one time where him acting above his station might have helped. If he tried to kiss like a rich dude, it might have, she might have been into it. Instead, he went in. Would it, would it, would it help? Um, so, uh, nice. uh <laughs> moist. Oh God. Really? Miami moist. Uh, Do you think it's, I embrace dumb things? I say, they're going <laughs> to, the other people get sick of it. All right, Kelly. Miami vice. So I think Chris, uh, is more convinced that there was more haunting going on than we were. Um, and he was, he was a little curious about the doctor that Caroline called the octopus. Yeah. He was assuming something would happen with that, and maybe he would get handsy with Caroline, and Faraday would have to step in, but nothing yeah, like that. Faraday got handsy because he goes, oh, she's an octopi. You know, it just occurred to me who Ruth Wilson kind of reminds me of. You know what other, other actress? Uh, Arya Stark. 
whatever her name is. Please, she uh, wishes. I forget the uh, character's there's a, there. There's a little uh, Marlon bit of Re- Brando. No, there's a little bit of Rebecca Ferguson there, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. A little bit. Rebecca's <laughs> got, Rebecca's shinier. She does this, true, right? this cool thing with her with her face where she in this I don't know if she does it in other things and and I don't mean to denigrate her in her way because I think she's really great in this and really hot. Well, she's uh, but she does this drab. weird sort of like duck thing with her lips. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean that's yeah, yeah she's got like that's a physical feature she's got dingus so don't. You know, yeah, freaks and me I, out by the way. I don't like it. It reminds me of plastic surgery or something. Mickey Cox disaster. I don't like that. Wait, what freaked you out? Well, I don't like the duck face meme. No, not that. I I just mean the way that her her upper lip kind of goes over a right. little bit like a duck bill. Uh, and I and I don't mean that as an insult in any way. I again, I find her very attractive, and I think she's awesome in this. But I really think it's appropriate for this. And and if you look at her picture on IMDb, she looks she looks radiant and gorgeous, and. Uh, she's beautiful here, but in a different way. But she's not like frumped down. She's just natural. Um, and and the, that that jerk doctor. Yeah, dude, what the fuck's up with that guy? And, like, for the, and for the time, come on, go back and look at pictures from the 1880s. She's well, hotter than all of them. Well, she he's like she, you know she's got hips and she knows how to use right. them. Um, but, pity about her looks, though. It's a it's a pity about her looks, but what? don't let that put you off. Uh, you know, get lucky tonight, dude. Go. She's the hottest girl that's seen. And and Donald Gleason just doesn't know what the hell to do. Well, right. and I don't think she's into him. I mean, the, neither of them are into each other. Right. And to her credit, to she it, does. So. She doesn't just say, uh, "Yeah, go ahead and do what you want." She just runs away. Well, she gave which, it. She gave him a chance, but he, he whiffed. I thought <laughs> he's stuck in the friend zone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that that follows it up it. with the marriage uh, proposal. Ugh. They love that. Hey, remember that terrible sex we almost had? I think we should do it every night. You're welcome. I'm moving in tomorrow with your mom. Uh, your mom should Chris, stay with us. Chris Mar- Markinson does say, and this is interesting to me, he says that he was really rooting for Caroline to get out of there. So he <laughs> yeah. was bummed. He was bummed when she didn't make it. It probably makes for a better book and movie with her not getting out alive, but I was holding out hope that she would make it. Well, I mean, even she's like, I'm next. Like, she doesn't know. She's doubting she's going to make it. So she's well, like, Roderick says that, too. Get, yeah. get her out of there. She's next. And for right, Rampling, right. Well, they all say it. Rampling yeah. does, too. Rampling's like, get her out of here. And he's all, oh, yeah, but I think that's, that, that's another one of Roderick's premonitions, right. I, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, when he says she, yeah, she's Because she gets it the worst. Yeah. I don't want well, to at least Betty Steve. made it. We still have Betty. So. Betty made it out and didn't even notice anything weird. She's like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, she's sick the first time we see her, and then afterwards she's like, hey, look, the bells are ringing. Huh. By the way, I'm leaving soon. Bye. Oh, you get married. Bye. Cheers. I did love that that examination see- sequence where yeah. she's like, it's, it's a burning pain with stabbing. Oh, that yeah, was so yeah, adorable, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? And yeah. I like, too. Uh, when he asks Caroline to leave so he yeah. can be alone in the room with her, yeah. he gives the slightest little nod, and then because she doesn't quite <laughs> yeah. cue off of it, he says, "Well," All and right. that's where she confesses. It's like he totally yeah. knows what she's doing, or, or like, and maybe it's even too like he knows how freaked out she is by the house because when he was younger, right. like it's just this. He's lower class. Moment. She's lower class. He gets it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Where he totally connects with her, yeah. and she confesses. And yeah, I loved that moment. Yeah, I thought yeah, for yeah. sure it was going to be, oh, she's pregnant. 
By who? That's what I thought was going on there. The then. only guy there is Roderick. Well. And I bet his penis is like his leg. Oh! oh so, well, you know. It's a shame on. we couldn't transition to a three-by-three three right now. That would have Induction. been perfect. I miss Brittany. <laughs> trying to bring Brittany back. So. Well, I do it once oh. a month. Yeah, she comes back for the three-by-threes. Does she? Yeah. Oh. All right. Speaking of which... Uh, all right. Uh, I've already mentioned we're going to do a three by three about freaky hands. Kelly Wand and I think that the Predator's fingers are dumb. And Tom so still do likes a- the Predator, despite. That. I do. Well, the Predator Kelly Wand is more than just ten fingers. Shoulder cannon. Yeah. That's Tom's <laughs> argument. So we want to hear. We want to hear about freaky hands and claws that, unlike the Predator, are done well. Oh so wait, singer- what? <laughs> I don't remember that part of it. <laughs> I thought it could be dumb like the Predators. <laughs> No, I want your favorite freaky hands <laughs> yeah. and claws. But it has yeah. to be done well? What are my favorite? Are you, like the predators, you like the Predator's freaky hands. Well, I can't. I, I'm having trouble thinking of them. I don't know. We'll see. I'd like to see him send a text. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On he an does. iPhone, too, instead of a big old iPad. Exactly. Yep. He does Good text luck with that Predator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So send us your favorite freaky hands and claws to 3x3 at quarter to three by... December 30th, that's a Sunday midnight, we'll include those on our 3x3 episode. And what movie should we follow this up with, Dingus? <laughs> what do you mean? <sighs> uh, I think we should do Mortal Spider-Mans. Uh, we were going to see Mortal Engines, but we're worried that it's too young adults. So instead, yeah. we're going to see... Fuck you, kids. Sp- a Spider-Man cartoon, Spider-Man <laughs> yeah. Into the Spider-Verse. grown-ups. <laughs> if you see that, and you guys listening know you're going to see it, don't don't pretend you're Idiots. not. You know Idiots. you're just like me. Idiots. You've played the Spider-Man game. You like Spider-Man Homecoming. You're going to see Into the Spider-Verse. So when you do... Seen enough white your, Spider-Man. I want something send, different. Send your thoughts to 3x3 at quarter3.com by midnight December 17th. And we'll include your comments on the air. If you if you have anything you want Kelly Wand to answer about Spider Man into the Spider Verse, feel free to ask those in your emails. Send those to three x three at quarter to three. Wow. Um. <laughs> uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Mukoski. It's Christian Murowski. And Kelly Wand. Predator has nipples. You can milk it. I can see. I'm lonesome and know how I feel As I sit here alone in my cabin I can't see your mansion on the hill I don't want kids, but I'd love to be a widower. Let's say that last week. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have what eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Oregai Six. Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. There is a child's angel named Farah, like Faraday. She had her shampoo, and when I was a kid, I used it. But I think by mistake, I bought Shelly Hacks. I'm going to put you in a Faraday cage. Oh, remember? <laughs>